We're going to the book of Romans, chapter number 7. This is absolutely one of my favorite chapters because I see the humanity of Paul throughout this chapter, and it's so true. But I want us to begin around verse 7 today of Romans chapter 7. He's been dealing with the law. 7 and 6 is, is misinterpreted, misquoted all the time when Paul makes a statement, but now we're delivered from the law. That does not mean that Paul stopped obeying the law. He's dealing with the idea that what once drove him to obey because of fear has now been replaced by relationship with Jesus by the Spirit of God that works in him. He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. In other words, it took the word of God to reveal to me what sin was. We heard some of this in our Bible class this morning, which was incredible, Brother Steve. Thank you. I had not known lust, except the law said, I shouldn't do that. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, what did he say? It revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, the commandment is holy, it's just and it's good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? No, he said, God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good. That sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. So this is some difficult language to completely understand, but I'm going to help make it plain for you today. He said, we know that the law is spiritual and I am carnal, sold under sin. The ways of God, he said, are right, but my nature is contrary to that. Now, this, gets, this, this can be a, a tongue twister right here, but stay with me. I'm going to read it slowly. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Follow this closely. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Verse 18, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. I find not. Chapter 8 and verse 1, and I'll let you be seated. You've been standing for a long time. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Here comes the kicker. Are you ready? Let's, can we read it together? Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Lord, thank you for your word today. Let it come alive in this house. Let it speak to somebody. Let your word, Lord, take deep root. Hide us behind your cross. Stand beside us. Breathe on us the breath of the Holy Ghost. I pray today for good soil, for the seed is always good. In Jesus' mighty name, let the church say amen. And you may be seated in Jesus' name. Romans chapter 7 is one that I have worked through so many times 
As a young child, I remember trying to understand what is Paul really trying to say here? You know, when you start reading that, even in maturity, because of the, the language of the King James Version, sometimes it's difficult. He's like, what I would, I do, and what I shouldn't, have, I did, and I, I thought about that, and then I wish I wouldn't have, and I tried ten times, and he goes through all, you know, and you're just, you're kind of confused and dazed until you slow down and you read exactly what the apostle's saying. What he is saying is, I really want to please God. But I've got a continual fight with that old nature inside of me. That when I look at the law of God, the word of God, it reveals to me the sin nature that's in me. And when that sin nature is revealed in me, I've got a choice right then. That I'm either going to let that old man die. Or I'm going to give in to the law of God. And I'm going to follow after the law of God. And I'm going to do the will of God. And here's basically what this comes down to. And this is what I'm going to preach to you on this Sunday morning. This sounds so simple. It's elementary. It may be kindergarten to some. But I'm telling you I believe it with all my heart. The bottom line is if you're going to live for God. You've got to have the want to. There is a epidemic, a mindset that somehow has gripped the hearts of humanity. I can't speak for generations before me because God didn't call me to pastor in generations before. He called me to live right now in this day and time. He called me to preach the gospel in my generation and that I plan on doing until I have no strength to do or until breath leaves my body. But there is a mindset that has gripped the hearts of people. It's almost like if God wants me to do it, then God will make me do it. It's like if that's the way God wants me to live, then God will come down and he'll show me that's what he wants me to do. All the time holding a Bible in their hand and saying every promise in this book. Is mine. The Bible is still the best selling book of all times. It's still, there's nothing that even comes close to touching it as the best selling book of all times. Yet, it is the most questioned book and it is the most left alone book. Just because it's the best sold book doesn't mean it's the most read book. And there are people who want to be certain that they have a family Bible in their house and that at their baby's dedication or christening or baptism or whatever they're going to do, they get their babies a New Testament and they put it with them. There are people that have not cracked open their Bible for years and when they die, they'll take their Bible and put it in their coffin with them. Because the Bible is something we talk about often. It's something that we speak of often. As a matter of fact, it's abused like crazy. People that never open the book and read it will go through a hard time or know somebody that's going through a hard time and they'll sit down with them and say, well, you know, baby, the Bible says God will never put more on you than you can bear. And it's in that moment that you realize they haven't cracked that book open in a long time because that's not in the book. The truth of the matter is most of the time what's on me that I can't bear, God's not the one that put it on me. I put that on me. But I've also found in my life that God has an ability to allow me to walk into situations where the pressure can become more than I can stand. Because if I could handle it all on my own, if I could fix it all by myself, then I would never need him. But my faith in God is not tested. While I'm standing on the mountaintop and the fog has lifted and the view is perfect and it is well in my life, but my faith is tested when I'm looking for answers and I cannot find the answer and I've prayed and I've read the book and I cannot seem to find what I'm looking for. That is when my faith is really tested. And it's in those moments that you've got to have a will that's beyond the will of your flesh. This says regardless of what I'm going through. And even if I die without the answer, I will die trusting the Lord. 
going to trust the Lord. And so because we don't have a really pure opinion of the scripture, it's so funny, man. People are hilarious. I, I, I think I may have told this story, and I, I can honestly stand before the Lord and say I have no clue who it was. It was just a random day. I do really well at staying out of people's business on social media. Social media has become a necessary evil that I have to stay connected with. But I, I, don't, I don't understand why some people let it rule their life. It's unbelievable. Like I, I couldn't imagine adding that drama to my life. If you don't like it, God gave you a gift. Just keep scrolling. It's, if they bother you that much, just unfollow them. You know, just let it be a blessing to you. Pastor just blessed you today. You got permission. You don't have to follow all their posts. <laughs> just, just keep going. But this particular day... I was scrolling through the feed, and somebody, I have no clue who it was, but they were, man, they were abusing the Scripture. I mean, just absolutely murdering the Scripture. And they were talking about this Scripture says this, and that Scripture says that, and there was no reference given. There was, I mean, there was nothing that, that was even similar to the spirit and the nature and the context of what they were quoting. So I just made the comment on their feed, you need to go back and read the word again. Because that is not the intention of the scripture. And people bust that out. I'm talking about they're not spiritual people. They have no clue. They want to do what they want to do. And then they'll say, well, you know the Bible says you shouldn't judge. And I'm still waiting to find that scripture. I don't agree in having a judgmental attitude. Don't get me wrong. Don't misconstrue my words. But what I'm saying is, the Bible does not say anywhere, thou shalt not judge. It's not in the book. Jesus said, you'll know a tree by its fruit. You know what that is? That's discernment and judgment. He said, without judgment and discernment, you can't even serve the Lord. That's the purpose of the Spirit of God working in our lives. We discern and we judge. Now that doesn't mean that we walk around telling everybody what they're doing wrong. Please don't misconstrue what I'm saying. But here's the principle that I feel the Holy Ghost is trying to get to us today. We like to use that word, the Bible says, thou shalt not judge. And it's not because of judgment, it's because of justification. We want to justify our actions and our sins by the actions and sins of somebody else. And so we'll say, now, you know what the Bible says, thou shalt not judge. What the Bible says is, judge not, lest you be judged. In other words, if you're going to judge, you better put on your big boy britches. If you're going to stand back and judge everybody else, you better understand that by what measure you have judged, that's the measure you're going to be judged by. But the principle is simple, folks, and hear me today. Sometimes I tell you to put your seatbelt on and hold on. Right now I'm telling you to take it off because it's fixing to be a crazy ride for the next few minutes. I just want to tell you, it's fit. we're fixing to sail through some things right here, and I want to help somebody in Jesus' name. But justification is killing us. You can do whatever you want to do, live however you want to live, and find somebody somewhere that will justify your opinion of whether or not that's right or wrong. You can find a preacher that'll say it's not necessary. You can find a family member and a friend. But let us not forget the little lesson we tried to teach our kids. Birds of a feather... My God, y'all are preaching this morning. Well, Pastor so-and-so said that that's not true, that that's not right. Well, that's because they're justifying your action by their action. It's not a matter of revelation. It's a matter of justification. God's not revealing something new that in this day and time because after all, it's the 21st century. I think there's a new way that we ought to live. Well, I can tell you right now, I wouldn't be caught dead living any other way than the way that I'm living because I believe this book. You've heard me tell the story many times about my great-grandfather who was asked by another minister of a, of a different denomination, a different faith. He asked my great-grandfather one day, he said, 
what would you be if you weren't apostolic? Thinking that my grandfather may say to him, I would be what you are. And he said, what would you be if you weren't apostolic Pentecostal? He said, I'd be ashamed. I'm telling you today that you cannot love holiness to please men. You cannot love the scripture to make a man happy. You cannot love the scripture and the word of God and the preaching of the word of God to keep a church family happy. If you're going to please God, it's going to be because you fall in love with the idea of who God really is and not the concept of what the world wants you to believe that God is. Well, God don't judge people. Jesus didn't judge people at all. Maybe, maybe you're reading something different than I'm reading. Because he walked up. The judgment of Christ was always to people that knew better. He walked up to the religious crowd and he said, You know what? You act like you've got it all together on the outside. You're all dressed up, got it all right. He said, But on the inside, you are full of dead men's bones. He said, You are a whited sepulcher. Well, I'm sure glad he wasn't judgmental. I can tell you that. And the, the, the principle that I love about that is that you didn't ever find Jesus walking up to a lame man in the street and judging the lame man. He gave the lame man the ability to be healed and judged his character by whether or not he wanted to be healed or stay that way. But to those who knew the law and, the new, and, and that knew better, he judged their spirit because they were trying to justify their action by the law. And Jesus looked at them and said, you are rotten on the inside. The principle was that you can dress it up however you want to dress it up. You can make it look holy. You can make it look like whatever you want to make it look. But don't ever forget that there is an all-seeing eye that's looking down from the throne of God today. And he examines the hearts of men. And he knows the heart of the matter. He knows the heart of the matter. And so... Paul starts comparing his life to the law, and he said, you know what, man, I, I, I look in the mirror of this law, and this is what I see. And I'm going to try to break this down Gerber style for you so that everybody gets it. I want this to be English to you. He said in verse 14, he said, I know that all of God's commands are spiritual. I know that the law of God is spiritual, but I'm flesh. I'm a man. I make mistakes he said I was sold under sin it's like I want you to understand that I'm full of myself he said I spent time in prison verse 15 he said I spent a long time in sin's prison and everything that I know I should do he said I, I really really struggle but he said what happens is the thing that I do, I've said all along I wouldn't allow myself to make that happen, to let that happen. Like if you would have asked me yesterday, would you allow yourself to be this kind of mess up? I would say absolutely not. I wouldn't allow that, but that's what I end up doing. And he said, what I would that I do not, but what I hate, that do I. So let's break this down in English. He said, I always feel like because of my flesh, I end up doing what I wish I wouldn't have done. In other words, if I let my flesh get out of control, I see myself becoming what I hate. Is, is that making sense? Is, is everybody understanding where I'm coming from today? He said, I don't understand about myself. I decide one way and then I act another way and I do things that... I despise, he said, so if I can't be trusted to figure out what's best for myself and do it, then it becomes obvious to me, in verse 16, he said, then it becomes obvious to me, I need the help of the law of God. In my own judgment, he said, I've messed this up. If then I do that which I would not, in other words, if I allow my flesh to get out of control and I can't even fix my own life by my own decisions, he said, then I need to consent 
unto the law of God. I need the law of God in my life to align me and define me and to give me direction. But the principle that I've got to get in somebody's spirit today is that just because it is written in the word of God does not mean that it's fulfilled. I'm fixing to get down here where we're living just a little bit, so stay with me. It's dangerous to be lost in sin, away from God. You know, I walk past people every day, and not in a, not in a, a, a down way, not in a judgmental mentality, but I walk by people every day, and I'll make statements between my wife and I like, how sad. I saw a, a person walking down the road the other day. They were so high that they couldn't even... They didn't even know where they were. They, wouldn't, they weren't going to remember that, that evening or tomorrow where they were today. It was terrible. And the conversation was how sad and how terrible. And, and told my kids, you are so blessed. You are so blessed that your daddy doesn't come in drunk at night and do things to you that, that I don't even remember doing to you. You're blessed that your, your grandparents serve the Lord. You're blessed that, that you go to church every week. You're blessed that this is your life. You understand what I'm saying? But I, I, I look at people and I, I think how sad it is that they have no hope. They, they have nowhere to go. It's like they don't have the Holy Ghost. They're, they're not living for God. It's so sad. It's so sad. And while it breaks my heart, I want to tell you that a more dangerous place to be than somebody that is lost is somebody that sits in the church and thinks they're found. It doesn't take us too long to become professional in our religion. And we get so smart that we've got all the answers. But i got to tell you this morning, you may be able to fool the people that's sitting on the pew with you today. And you may be able to fool the pastor today. And you may be able to make everybody else think that you're spiritual and that you got all this together. And you may be able to make everybody else think because we can run the aisles and dance and shout that we've got it together. But I'm telling you, you won't stand before this pulpit on Judgment Day. You're going to stand before the God of heaven and earth, the creator of the universe, who knows all things inside and outside. I know that man judges the outward appearance, and God looks on the heart, but that does not free me. That right there is an indictment against me, that it's God who's looking at the soul of the man. He knows who I really am. He knows what I am. doing all right Pentecostal professionalism is killing us now I'm sorry if this is too real for you on Sunday morning but I'm giving hope to somebody here as well that doesn't think they can get their life together enough and be good enough for God we walk in this place how you doing bro oh man I'm blessed and highly favored God's been good to me how you doing Man, we've been a wreck all week. I, I know this is going to be strong language, okay, but just stay with me right here. We justify lying because we want to present a case to people that's appealing. There is no system in the body, it seems like, where somebody that's struggling can find a place to go and say, hey, I'm struggling. I need God to help me. So what happens is we either get cold and we backslide or we get mad at somebody else and justify our sin by their actions. Just quit on God. It's a dangerous place to be. It's scary to me when I think about the amount of preaching that I've heard in my lifetime. When I think about the words of life that come across this pulpit on a weekly basis. And to think that there will be people that sit under the sound of the voice of this pulpit every week that will die lost without God. Well, pastor, what about the homosexual? What about the, what about the alcoholic? What about the drug? What about the people that's overdosing right now? I understand that. And that ought to convict us. But we have a difficult time dealing with the people that are bound by drugs because we're bound by our ideas.
tied up in here right now for Sunday morning. Well, I'd do something for God, but I'm going to tell you right now, I ain't never seen more lazy people in my life. What? Think about it now. These lazy bums. What's wrong with these people? I I ain't about to give them money. Well, maybe money's not what they need. Maybe when you felt the tug of the Holy Ghost and told you to turn around and go back to them, God wasn't really wanting that $5 bill in your pocket. God was wanting you to go back to that person standing on the street corner and let them know you don't have to live the rest of your life this way if you don't want to because there is somebody that loves you enough that he gave his life for you. Oh, my, my. Woo. I can't believe how tight it is on Sunday morning at FPC. God has got to get a hold of our hearts. He's got to get a hold of our mind. Listen, we can sit in the house of God and judge other people's worship and talk about they they shouldn't be worshiping like that. They don't deserve to worship like that. Well, if I was worshiping, I wouldn't see their worship. I'm not being ugly this morning. I'm not here to sound like an ugly man. I don't want to be offensive to anybody. But if the word of God is abrasive to us, then so be it. But I'm telling you right now that I was not saved to fill an apostolic pew and to live my life saying, feed me, feed me, serve me, serve me, feed me, feed me. The concept is, If I can fake it till I make it, then I'll make it. Woo-wee. My God, Pastor, what in the world are you doing on this Sunday morning? I'm trying to help somebody get real. If you don't let God deal with your heart today, look, I don't, it, it doesn't matter. It does not matter if you die lost and go to hell half naked or you die and go to hell covered up in holy clothes. Woo. Let, 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 let's just lay this table out. I, I think y'all set your spoon down here. So let me put some hot food on your plate and talk to you right here. Can I, can I do that? How many of you pick up your fork and take a bite of what I'm fixing to feed you right here? The table is spread before us this morning. Now, this is not what you're going to hear on TBN, but let me just preach it to you here right now. Here's the way this is going to be. You're not going to stand before God and Him say, you know what, you were a good person. You did a lot of really, really good things. So I think just because I'm good like that and I don't judge people, That I'm just going to let you come on in. Folks, listen to me. The opportunity to come on in is now. Well, what kind of God would let people go to hell? The same kind of God that gave them 70 years of breath that they chose to live without him. Oh, pastor, that's too hardcore. Listen, I, I think maybe... We're so afraid that we're going to mess up somebody's fruit basket that we're afraid to speak the truth. But here's the truth. You're either saved or you're lost. There is no in-between. There is no purgatory. There is no relief. It's a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a place where the worm dieth not and you're saved or you're lost. But at the end of the day, you're not going to be saved because you like the style of music. You're not going to be saved because he's your favorite preacher. You're going to be saved because you have the want to. Oh, God. There is therefore now no condemnation. I hate it when I go to church and I feel condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation. To them that are in. There is a difference between conviction and condemnation. You do know that. Condemnation says you're condemned. Conviction says you got a shot at it. (laughs) 
Condemnation is the judgment that it's over. Conviction is the ability to get up and dust yourself off and try again and know that God believes enough in you that he's left breath in your body. I feel like telling somebody on this Sunday morning, I don't care what they've told you. I believe that you can make it. Pastor, I'm not fit to. I've messed up too many times. You don't understand. I believe that you can make it. I believe if you'll get up one more time. I believe if you'll dust yourself off one more time, you're going to make it. Oh, God. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or your testimony today, but if we can be real, I'm talking to you about transparency. Is that right? If you're in this house this morning and you have ever backslid and walked away from God, but today you're in this place, I want you to stand. Oh, I feel something in the house. You hear me when I tell you right now, the devil is a liar. If God could turn these lives around right here and bring them back to a place of strength and stability and bring them back to the house of God, I don't care what the devil's told you. He's the father of all lies. You're going to make it, but you've got to have the want to. That ought to set somebody free right there. The truth is, you've messed up. The truth is, you've made a mistake. But the truth is, His grace is greater. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you. You can be seated. I feel the Holy Ghost in here right now. We can start dividing that up into subgroups. How many of you were gone six months? How many of you were gone five years? How many of you were backslid for 15 years? How many backslid for 30 years? I wouldn't do that to you because we don't have the time. But what I do want to get into your spirit this morning is I don't care if it's been three minutes or 30 years. If you're in this house right now, the Holy Ghost has said, come on home. You've got a chance right now to get this thing right. You've got a chance to get this fixed. But you've got to have the one to... Have it. Well, when God's ready for me, He'll come get me. Well, hey, I want to tell you something, sweetheart. He came to your house today, and that's why you're at His house. If you're waiting on the Holy Ghost to come knock on your door and tap you on the shoulder, you just better know He's tapping right now. He's speaking right now. He has brought you to the kingdom for now. Oh. Stay with me. I know some of you are starting to look at your watches right now because it's getting to be about that time. You're feeling your roasting potatoes are burning in the crock pot at the house. If your roast burns, I'll buy you another one out of my pocket. But I feel like telling you today that the reason why we don't ask God to fill us up is because we're full. In this modern day of religion, I preach to full people every week. Now that doesn't mean we're full of the Holy Ghost. It just means that we're full. We're not hungry. You watch babies... You don't ever have to wonder when a child's hungry. I got the funniest little dog. He's probably ugly to everybody else, but he's pretty cute to me. He's my cute little pootie. Little wall-eyed Boston Terrier, little bulldog. Bobo, 
Bobo has a language that my wife understands so incredibly. The dog will come in there and she'll say, Babe, he might as well be talking to me right now. Bobo will come in there and just sit there and look at my wife and start turning that head and back and forth. And she'll say, you want to go outside? And he'll turn his head. You want some water? And he'll turn his head. And she'll say, are you hungry? And he jumps up in the air and spins in a full circle. <laughs> he takes off running. He drags his tail and gets all funny. It's hilarious. He's speaking the language I've emptied out. I'm hungry. I need something that will fill me up. And I know that if I come to my master. I could go out in the yard and eat grass. I could go to the trash pile and eat trash. But why would I do that? When my master has paid the bill. And the food is in the house. I'm going to tell you why people aren't crying out anymore. They're not hungry enough. It's easy to be critical of other people's worship when you don't have anything good to say about it. But it's because you're so full and they need to be filled up. So they empty themselves out of everything that's in them. And they say, God, I empty myself of me. And I raise my hands and my voice. And these tears that are streaming down my face, they're not because I want to be weak. But it's because I need you. A lady came to an elderly Pentecostal pastor one night after church. And she said to him, she said, I don't believe in all this crazy emotion. I don't believe that Jesus ever jumped and shouted and ran and hollered and rolled around on the ground. I don't believe that that's how Jesus did it. And the preacher looked back at her and he said, you know what? You're probably right, but everybody he touched did. I'm not going to judge my worship by whether or not somebody else runs in jump. I can tell you this. When he touched my life, he made a difference in me. You don't have to believe in it. You don't have to worry about it. You can stand back and judge my praise. But if you had known me before I let God have his way. I don't have to be here today. I could be lost today. I could be confused today. But God in his infinite wisdom and his matchless mercy, he reached down to where I was. I'm almost there. I know. I, I do know. I've been preaching long enough to know that right there, I could have crescendoed. You guys could have jumped and shouted, and we could have went home. I know that. I'm not stupid. I know the art of preaching. I've been preaching 25 years. Isn't that stupid? I'm not even old enough for that. Somebody was asking me about my, how long I've been married yesterday at, at the wedding. I was like, 10, 12 years, I guess. <laughs> and there was Lauren standing 15 years old. I said, maybe we ought to at least go with 16. <laughs> at least. I want you to hear me today while I've got you seated in your pew. I thank God for the response and that there's nothing like it. I believe if you're not crazy for him, he hadn't really touched you yet because I know what it feels like when he touches you. Unless somebody looks at you and says you've lost your mind, you hadn't got it yet. I'm just telling you. 
But I want you to mark this down in your mind, and I don't ever want you to forget what I'm getting ready to tell you. This is going to sound controversial to some, but you just write it down, and you listen to me. Hear me, hear me, hear me. If you're going to serve God, it's going to inconvenience your life. Boy, I was hoping a little deeper in that right there. Pastor, God don't care. God don't care how often I show up. God don't care what I do. God, He don't care. He cares because you're here this morning. And he told me to preach it to you. So I'm going to preach it to you. If you have a relationship, I'm not talking about having a relationship with somebody that has a relationship with God like Lot and Abraham. I'm talking about if you have a relationship with God, you will be inconvenienced. Oh, my, my. At some point, you're going to be inconvenienced by the power and the presence of God. To move. I know what time it is. I'm watching my clock like a hawk. So stay with me. I read an article. A gentleman named Tyler Green. I don't know Tyler. I don't know where he's from. But he wrote an article that says you need to be inconvenienced. For your church. Stay with me. I once read about a revival which took place among some, Scotland, some of Scotland's rural churches in the 1800s. Many of the believers who belonged to these churches lived in the middle of nowhere and would travel long distances for gathered worship. Bear in mind, this was before the emergence of automotive technology. What's more, as the revival came during the winter months, which made the commute treacherous due to weather conditions, especially since the mountainous terrain was not ideal for travel. Needless to say, meaningful participation in the life of the local church was not easy for these believers. Nevertheless, they were faithful and God visited them in a powerful way. As one minister from that time noted, and I quote, It was often a stirring sight to witness the multitudes assembling during the dark winter evenings. To trace their progress as they came in all directions across moors and mountains by blazing torches which they carried to light their way to the places of meeting. The word of the Lord was so precious in those days and personal inconvenience was little thought of when the hungering soul sought to be satisfied. Stay with me. Please don't leave me right here. Just put your watch in your pocket if you have to. As we look for the example of these believers, let's make one crucial observation. Those who are hungry for Christ consider it their joy to be inconvenienced. For his sake. Unfortunately, this is the stark contrast to the way many people treat the church today. Countless multitudes attend church regularly but view it as a commodity, a conveniently located provider of spiritual goods and services for which they make no real sacrifice. Of course, such a perspective can be manifested in different forms. In some, forms it, uh, some cases, it assumes the form to total avoidance of any sort of participation beyond semi-regular attendance on Sundays. However, in many other cases, it's far less obvious than that. Listen very closely. This moved me so deeply, even sitting in my office this morning. Most of us don't mind some level of participation. We have no qualms about signing up to serve for an hour on Sundays or joining a small group. In such cases, the problem isn't one of whether we're participating in the mission of the church. It is one of how we're participating. As advantageous, overscheduled Americans, our participation is often subject to our convenience. Far too seldom, it is something for which we readily adjust our schedules or re-envision how we live. Instead, we settle for being involved enough to feel like we've done our due diligence before God but without any disruption of our everyday lives, or to put it more plainly, we've resorted to negotiating our participation in the church's mission when we should be completely surrendering to the mission. God is not after the win-win. He's after 
your full devotion. God, I feel him. Let's boil this down so we can see what's really at stake. Our aversion being inconvenienced for the local church reveals our lack of hunger for Jesus. For those who hunger for him above all else will joyfully love what he loves and value what he values no matter the cost. You hearing me this morning, church? Are you hearing what I'm reading to you right now? This smote my spirit. Therefore, when it comes to life in the local church, we have two choices before us. Write this down. We can have convenience or we can have more of Jesus. We must decide. You can't have both. So which will it be for you? As you consider that question, read this insight from Ray Ortland. He said, and I quote, stay with me church. If your relationship with your church is ambiguous and sporadic and subject to convenience, the problem is not your relationship with your church. The problem is your relationship with Jesus. He has made his loyalty clear. He even delights in his church. He is committed to the revival of the world through the revival of the church. To God, the most important thing in all of created reality is His church. A crown of beauty in His hand. Your own greatest happiness is the revival in your church. Everything else in my life becomes secondary when I have the want to. This is not where you probably thought pastor would end on Sunday morning. But God is fixing to move in this house. And he's dealing with somebody's heart right now. When I first started to read that, some of you were saying, what in the world's pastor doing? We're supposed to be out of here in six minutes because it was 1154. But right now, the Holy Ghost is dealing with somebody's heart. And you're saying, oh my God, I've been blaming the church. And I don't have a problem with the church. I've got a problem with God. I've got a problem with my soul. I've been trying to fit God in my lifestyle. And this morning, God is not calling you to add Him to your lifestyle. He is calling you out of a world of convenience where it's not about the next dollar. It's not about the bigger house. It's not about the better car. It's not about retirement. It's about pleasing God. Uh. The only vehicle that God is going to use in the end time revival that we preach about and we sing about and we love it, it's going to happen through local churches. Churches that are committed to the mission. Churches that are committed to giving to the mission. Not people that are worried about getting bigger and better and happier. And It's about people that are committed to the cause of Christ. That I don't do what I do because I like the color of paint on the church's walls. That church just feels like the right one. When I walk in, I like the paint, I like the pews, I really like it. And their air conditioner is good and cold. I think that's the one for me. The one for me is the one that's committed to calling me out of being so convenient and happy that all I care about is just Getting by till tomorrow, having another dollar tomorrow than I've got today. Oh, God, help us. Listen, I know in this generation, they said people, pastor, people have to work. You know, people work in this generation. People have jobs in this generation. I know, we're the first generation that's ever worked. We can't have seven-night revivals anymore, pastor. People work. Did you hear what I read to you this morning? Those people in Scotland were walking miles and miles and miles in the middle of the winter. And they said they were doing it because they were hungry. You know what God's calling us to? He's calling us to forget about how hungry we are for Ponderosa on Sunday morning. And say, God, I'm so hungry for you. I'll do anything I've got to do. If that means getting another job. If that means downsizing. Whatever I've got to do. I'm hungry. I've got the one too. In a conversation, 
some time ago, and I'm, I'm closing. I know some of you are over it this morning, but I just can't get over it. I was in a conversation some time ago with Brother and Sister Horner. We were talking about a man of God that was in his life at one time, and he used to tell young preachers in the church, he'd say, don't go tying yourself down to a mortgage because God may have somewhere he wants you to go. God may have something he wants you to do, and if you tie your life down where you can't, you can't break loose, you can't be in the will of God. You don't hear people talk that junk anymore. Ever. You don't hear people, you hear people talk about, man, I, I hope you be sure you're comfortable in your old age when you retire. I hope I am too. But I'd rather be comfortable in eternity than I would to be comfortable right here, right now. Oh, God. I have prayed for the Holy Ghost to bring us to this sovereign moment right now and for somebody to respond in this place. Listen, I, I told you, I, I know this preaching thing. I know how to do it. And right now, I could have like built you up, screamed and hollered and got you shouting, standing on your feet and clapping. And some of you would turn and walked out of here and miss what I'm saying right now. But this is going to be an intentional moment for somebody that's got the want to in the house of God this morning. That you're not here to say, feed me, pastor. Feed me, feed me. You're here to serve me, pastor. This church is here to serve me, pastor. No, no, no. Get that out of your mind right now. I hope we do serve you well. But today, I'm looking for somebody that wants to serve the Lord. And you'll say, God, wherever you send me whatever you want me to do whoever you want me to talk to whatever has to happen I want to do it right now the Holy Ghost is moving I, I know it sounds like I'm being derogatory and I'm not I'm really really not but we're so funny some of you are thinking right now man if he would have done this before 12 o'clock it would have been a lot more successful I think you're missing it Every bit of this is intentional. I didn't just preach long because I don't have anywhere else to preach. Get ready for three camp meetings back to back. I'm going to get my fair share of preaching. I'm looking for somebody that will get a hold of an old-fashioned mindset. It's not about looking for a church to just serve me and make me happy and feed me till I'm just fat on the presence of God. I'm looking for something to get me so uncomfortable that I am so dissatisfied with where I'm at that I can't sit here anymore. I've got to get up from where I'm at. Quit serving my flesh. Quit falling to the same old sin all the time like Paul said. That's always going to be with you. But if you're going to overcome that and do something for God, it's going to be because you want to. Here, here's how pro propriety works. Some of you are waiting right now. Well, when's he going to give the altar call? The Holy Ghost gave that about five minutes ago. If this is your first time worshiping with us right now. I know some of you are thinking, man, this guy's weird. Jerry Falwell would have already given an altar call. Well, I'm just telling you, I'm not Jerry Falwell and I'm not Andy Stanley. I'm not Charles Stanley. I'm Luke St. Clair. And I'm standing before you today, a man that feels my heart ripping out of my chest today. Because God is trying to wake up the North American church. And if he's going to do it, it might as well start with Anderson, Indiana today. And somebody will get up from where you're at and say, God, I want to do whatever I can do. I want to put my shoulder to the plow. Whatever I've got to overcome in my life to get over my flesh and get over my sin, I've got to do it. If I've never been baptized in Jesus' name, I'm going to be baptized today. If I've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost, I'm going to get it today because I want to be in alignment with what God wants me to do. Oh, God. I want to talk to you while you're coming to the altar and obeying the Holy Ghost. And I want you to listen very closely to me. If you think my greatest ambition in life is to build the biggest church in Anderson that I can build so that when I die, people can look at it and say, wow, that guy did it. You don't know me very well. And I'm going to tell you this. I just preached in California a few weeks ago. And in the next few towns over from where I was in, 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 a, in a, a little valley area, there are about three or four towns in that area that Pentecost has marked off 
They said the people are too intelligent and too rich to reach them. There's over 600,000 people, Brother McLean, that live in that valley area and not one apostolic church. 600,000 people. My wife and I have walked the streets of Stavanger, Norway, weeping and crying that there's almost 300,000 people in that city and not one man raising his voice in that city to preach truth. And we're still trying to figure out what standards we can get by with or without or what we can do. What's necessary, what's not necessary. The Holy Ghost is saying, get up from that. Get to want to. Get to winning people. Get to loving people. There is such a revival and harvest right now in South Africa. I'm telling you, that nation is coming alive with revival right now. You just, you just get over to Brother Robbie sometime and ask him what God is doing. The Lord set some things in order while we were there just a couple of months ago. The Holy Ghost is doing it, and we got to go back. You know what the problem is right now? We don't have enough time on the calendar to get it done. And we're still trying to figure out how much sin is allowed to still be saved. You've got to have the want to. Oh, God. Do you feel the eternal weight of what I'm telling you today? If you don't, go ahead and go to the restaurant right now because apparently you're done. I'm not being ugly. I'm just saying, if you feel like you need to go, then go ahead and go. Go, go do whatever. I, it, it doesn't matter to me. But some of you are still trying to figure out right now who's on whose po- political side and who's doing this and what's going to happen. And forget all that junk. People are dying without God. We got we to gotta get the want to. It's got to be what gets you up in the morning. What's on your mind when you go to bed at night. Church family, I, I, I know I, this, this is not to make me sound good. Oh, Jesus, please help me right now. But my wife can tell you that there are times in my life that I can't go to bed at night. I can't sleep. I toss and turn. I get up and I walk the floor and I can't sleep in the morning. I've got to get up. Well, it's because you're a pastor and you carry a little. No, it's not. If I leave this church tomorrow, I've got to love people. Can't lay in bed at night and think about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people that are dying without God and they're lost today and we're still sitting here trying to figure out how the political system ought to work in the North American church. Which organization is the best one, man? What do they preach? It's different than ours. Are they tighter on their standard? Man, get over it. Let's have revival. Let's win people. I'm fixing to make a statement, and I, I don't want this to be taken wrong. I know there's people watching right now, but you listen to me. I've been faithful. I've been very, very faithful in my life, even when it cost me. I've been very, very faithful to the same organization. I've, I've never been licensed with another organization, but you listen to what pastor's telling you today. If that organization falls apart tomorrow, and I'm not a licensed preacher with anybody, my mission does not change. It doesn't change. Something has got to get down inside of us. Sister Barbara, will you come over here to me, sweetheart? Just hold on to me right here. I want to walk with you. I'll never forget that day, Sister Barbara, that I pulled up to that building next door across the street. And I started to pull out, and I heard the Holy Ghost say, Go inside. When I walked in the doors, this precious little lady of God stood up behind that desk. I looked so bad. I'm still embarrassed. I had on my moving clothes. Brother Hensel, when I opened the door and walked in, I saw a little holy lady of God. And the Lord let me know immediately, that's why you're here. And I said, ma'am, where do you go to church? And she said, I just moved here. And I said, well, I pastor across the street. She said, well, actually, I'm apostolic. And I said, we are too. You remember that? Can I tell you right now, she probably would have found this place anyhow because she lived across the street from She probably would have. But when the Holy Ghost says go, we better go. And when the Spirit of God says go back, we better go back. 
Do you understand that this is a walking, living, moving, breathing miracle that's standing here today, right now, God has spared her life. He has brought her. The other day, she was on the volleyball court with us, had a stroke, and shouldn't even be here. Look what the Lord's done. I would never embarrass her. She's a walking, living, breathing testimony of the goodness of God. How many Sister Barbaras are in this city today? But we got an appointment. (laughs) Got to go make another buck. If I miss that overtime, I'm not going to be able to buy that boat. When heaven and earth passes away, that boat's going to burn up. Pastor, you're saying I shouldn't have a boat? No, I want you to have the biggest one you can afford. I want you to seek first the kingdom of God. I want you to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I'm asking all across this room right now for you to lift your hands towards heaven. Oh God, we cannot be selfish and just keep building a church and building a church and building a church so that we can say, look how big we are. Where are the missionaries in this room this morning that God is calling? are the pastors in this room that God is calling you and we're going to send you to another town and you're going to build a congregation and build you another church and build another church and build another church. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. Right now, lost without God, dying, going to hell. Philippines, China, Taiwan, Europe, the Netherlands, Amsterdam, where nobody wants to go. What about all these people in Amsterdam? What about all these crazy people? What what about those people? Preach a conference there, and there wasn't more than two or three hundred people in that conference, and there's millions of people that live there. That's when I realized this job's too big for preachers to start filling their pulpit and be just be happy to be sure they got enough money to retire when they get old enough to retire. We better be pouring ourselves out every day. We better be giving, going, doing whatever we've got to do. I know, I know, church. Oh God, I wish I could just let you go right now. I know some of you are like, man, Pastor, you need to, I, wish, I want you to stay home more often. I, I wish we could hear you every service. I, I want you to just stay here every service. You know why I go the way I go, why I do what I do, because people are dying lost without God. I want to win somebody. Brother Henson, I want to reach one soul. If one person's listening on the internet today and you don't know Jesus right now, lift your hands wherever you are in your house. Just raise your hands. Lift your hands to the Lord. It doesn't matter to me where you're at. We're going to find you a place to go to church. We're going to find you a place to plug in and connect. But you've got to have the one to. We're 16 minutes past when you should be out of here. I know that. What if we had the whole concept wrong and what God was trying to form in our lives was not a way for us to just be the most comfortable we could be, but rather that God would make us kingdom enablers, that whatever we had to do to get this gospel around the world, that's what we'd do. Those close to me that work with me can tell you, my wife can tell you, I fought, I fought so hard. To not go live on on the internet. You're throwing yourself out there for people every week. But when you're out there, you're just waiting on somebody to smash what you're preaching. And finally, the Lord got a hold of me one day. And he said, either you believe what you believe and you're going to preach it. And you don't care who hears it. Or you're not. Listen to me. 
I don't care where they're watching from right now. I don't care if they're watching from the Philippines. It's, it's midnight in the Philippines. That's all right with me. If you're watching from around the globe, I don't care where you are. If you're away from God, I want you to raise your hands right now. I, I want those tears that, are, that you've been fighting back right now. I want you to just begin to let them flow right now in the name of Jesus. Wherever you're watching from. I don't care where you're watching from right now. I just want you to let the Holy Ghost begin to move. It doesn't matter to me where you came from to this church this morning. If you don't live in Anderson or you live right here. I want you to let the Holy Ghost begin to move on you right now. The difference is not that you're waiting on God. God is waiting on you. Somebody please help me this morning. 